going to get rid of these fish, pick up my wife, and all of a sudden one wave catches us and we start surfing down it. And at the bottom, it turns us really hard to the right. And I look up and like the front bow of the boat is like dipping under, like scooping water. And I'm like, dude, there's no way we're coming back from this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Econ Growth Show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special episode for you because we are going to be telling you a little bit of our backstory. Which is why the, we are outside right now, right? Yeah, you get, you a, get you out of the office. Get out a little bit. Break the routine. You get, get out, out in the sunshine. You get the wind on you. Yep, exactly. And it's so appropriate that we're in the great Alaskan outdoors because much of our story has been kind of this, um, almost like this struggle, this tension between you know, living in this place of Alaska, this Alaskan culture, and doing something so off base compared to what everyone else is doing, <laughs> yeah. and going the complete opposite direction of the green, um, and and jumping into digital marketing, jumping into e-commerce marketing. Totally. So we're not going to rush this. We're going to settle in. I'm going to say something real quick too before mm-hmm. we're deep into it. Is part of my goal today is to make you lose your train of thought <laughs> as you're as you're in your flow it's something I'm good at you know I kind of cut in yep. as you're talking and then I, I bounce out and want you to take it so that's that's gonna be going on a lot today well, hey, I, it's I happening right now isn't it I appreciate that very much Daniel. it's happening right now uh yeah so I what I think you know is this is going to be something uh it might take more than one episode to fully tell yeah. this story because there's a lot of components but let's just jump, uh, you know, right back to the beginning where we're talking about, you know, something as little as um, Daniel as a boy growing up in Alaska, what his lens of the world was. And oh, we're going how way back. Heck, how in the heck did he end up in e-commerce marketing? That's a good question, Rob. So, yeah, I grew up here in Homer, Alaska, born and raised, and my father is a fisherman or construction on the side. Um, but I have four little sisters too. I have quite the amazing upbringing where in the summertime, since I was like three years old, I'd actually go out uh, commercial fishing with my dad and go out on the boat and I'd be gone for like a month at a time from, as a three-year-old. I got three-year-olds now, man. I'm like, I would never bring them on a boat. <laughs> just, just out in the nice icy waves <laughs> uh, and I got seasick super easily so I was always you know just throwing up all over the place but as a kid it was like super fun out there with my dad commercial fishing and stuff mm-hmm. but that's the that's kind of the lifestyle I grew up in where I'd go fishing all summer come back hang out do homeschool in the fall winter and then kind of repeat that and it's funny because these last like four or five summers it's like the first summers that I've actually spent in my hometown, I'm like, oh, dude, this is why people love it here so much because the <laughs> summers here are so nice. But anyways, growing up in that environment, you kind of develop. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. So t- tell me, what's life on a boat like, you know, as this three-year-old, as this 10-year-old? I mean, how big's the boat? What is your, what does a normal day look like? Yeah, so when I was three, I mean, it was a really small boat. <laughs> and so... 
Because he had upgraded his operation. Uh, he, yeah, he, yeah, he'd upgrade as, as I grew older, you know, and as he was more successful in the industry. But when I was three, it was a pretty small boat, meaning it was like a 42-foot boat mm-hmm. with four guys living on it for three months. Tiny space. Mm-hmm. And most of that boat is the back deck where all the net sits and you can load all the fish on. So the living quarters are pretty small. So mm-hmm. you're just out in the elements most of the time fishing away and then you go in and eat and go to bed basically but a lot of crazy stories of like i remember as a little kid you know like getting these massive sets Mm -hmm. and when you get a big set of fish on a saner you have to roll those fish into the fish hold somehow Mm -hmm. and i remember sitting up top it's called the flying bridge but it's like the top of the boat where you can drive from and we'd get a big set and when you're rolling them aboard the boat like tips way up so I'd just be like clinging on to something as a little kid as everything's like sliding down Whoa. and like <laughs> then fish are coming up, you know, after I realized the boat wasn't going to roll, it was like super exciting, you know, but scary at the same time. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty wild. And then you'd get situations where you'd catch a salmon shark every now and then mm-hmm. and have to let that go. And, and I, I think an important piece of the story is that, uh, you're not just on any fishing boat you're on tom stafford's fishing boat and so those big sets those are happening all the time because your dad is like one of the you know locally famous like he's a legend he's He's a a fishing legend he he has the world's largest uh herring set yeah How, how how big was that 1500 tons 1500 tons in one in one set so you picture this you know you're uh are you a teenager, low 20s? For that set? Yeah, you tell know, us I about was, the set. I was not there for that. Oh, you were? I was 18 and I'd just gone out of state. <laughs> <laughs> you missed the big one. I freaking missed the big one after dedicating my whole life so, so <laughs> to getting just, to something like just that. Just say why, why it's so addicting, though, because that's worth a lot of money and it happened that quick, right? Yeah, so why it's so addicting? For yeah, for people to like want to be in fishing, you know. Everyone yeah, wants I mean, to get Yeah, I mean, you live for set. those moments in mm-hmm. fishing it seems like, you know, you'll grind away all season getting the boat ready, catching minimal fish from time to time, getting up at 4 a.m., putting your wet rain gear on, going and stacking the net and kind of having a crappy day, but all of a sudden you get a really big set and it kind of makes it all worth it in that mm-hmm. moment. It feels like awesome. And then at the end of the season, fishermen have this thing where they only remember those beautiful big set (laughs) moments that Mm -hmm. pumps them up for the next year. But it's kind of that addictive thing where like that 1500 ton set was worth a million dollars, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it it happened over like an hour, over an hour. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then he had to get all the fish and pump them off and take them to town. So that was like a three day process, but (laughs) the set itself was like. 20 minutes and he wrapped him up you know so so young daniel he grows up fishing for uh commercial fishing legend tom stafford experiences these amazing experiences and learns to be a part of a a culture where you go out and you earn what you work for 100 percent, yeah and you know the harder you fish uh the harder you work in the off season the more construction projects do the the more you earn and so it's very much um just like a a very work-based like physical manual labor-based culture yeah exactly and so even though we didn't start in the same place it's actually kind of where our stories come together 
because that's after I married your little sister. <laughs> yes, you is did. when I, you know, purchased my own fishing operation. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I got whoa. We can't, we can't just skip over your whole childhood. Yep, that's nice, true. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where our worlds kind of collide. You know, I grew up in that realm, mm-hmm. fished up into my early twenties. But somewhere in 1920 range, we met, and that's when you were getting into that, too, and you married my sister. But let's rewind your yep. life a little bit and talk a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so my upbringing was quite a bit different. Um, born in Montana, and my dad, is uh, he's an oil painter. He, yeah. he, he's an artist. Yeah. And so it's it's similar in the way that it's like, provision came to our family seasonally you know if he sold a number of paintings we'd be doing pretty good for a while but then there would be a string of time where um you know maybe something would happen he'd fall out of a gallery and we'd be we'd be pretty hungry for for a long period of time yeah but the other thing the the similarities i draw between your story and my story is like commercial fishing is you know, there, there's a lot of freedom there, too, because yeah. you go out fishing, you do your thing. But then in the off season, you know, you have some freedom over your schedule. Yeah. You can go do a trip, stuff like that. So being an artist is the same thing. My your dad, family, I mean, you did a lot of that, right? Like traveling, yeah. painting, moving, going all over the world as a family, kind of having these yeah. experiences that aren't normal. Yeah, and and even experiencing a certain amount of pride for being kind of like this nomadic, free artist family, which which was really cool for a long time. We traveled all around Montana. Um, you know, eventually the, our our journey brought us up to Alaska. There was a period of time in there where we were kind of living in a in a tent. We got stuck in Canada because we ran out of money for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, even into other countries, Costa Rica, and so. You know, there was a, there was a lot of traveling in there, and it was always kind of this journey towards um, just going where my dad felt inspired, and and he would normally paint his surroundings. Mm. Uh, As a kid, though, those that feels so normal, it feels like this mm-hmm. big adventure. But I know looking back, sometimes those moments were could be hard for you as mm-hmm. well. What was a hard situation, and so, how did that? So I think when it started to get painful for me was when I was. Uh, just like wanting to have connection when when we'd move all the time you know I had my brothers but you know you'd have to leave your friends I, yeah. I think we counted one time we lived in like uh like 17 or 20 different homes over the sp- space of like just you know a, f- a few short years something like Dang. that but then you know growing up I really loved sports like I got I went all in, all into that I loved uh wrestling football um so eventually, so we came up to Alaska. I told you we kind of had some rough spots in there. We ran out of money a couple times, and so I'm like 10 years old. We're in Alaska. I'm playing football here. I'm I'm wrestling, two-time Alaska state champion. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> went went to like uh, you know Western regionals for for wrestling and stuff like that. And then, you know, come middle school, you know, we kind of get uprooted again and we go to Oregon. Mm. And then I'm doing like middle school and high school and, and I go all in like on, on, on football and, and you kind of get a, a band of brothers in, in team sports. And so, you know, when it, my sophomore year came around, my parents were going to move again. And, uh, you know, my exit from the home basically happened um, my sophomore year in high school because I didn't want to leave the kids that I've been playing football with for, yeah. you know, s- six years. 
and we had a really good team you know we had won a lot of titles and stuff like that so didn't want to depart from that so I moved in with a friend my sophomore year but somewhere in that story I adopted this idea that I was on my own from there and and it started this journey of me like and it's nothing against my parents or, or even necessarily a criticism on how we grew up and and the choices they made but at some point in that journey I adopted the belief that I was like an orphan mm. and that I, and it and it triggered this thing inside me that propelled me into this like workspace environment where I thought like I was not worth anything if I didn't earn it and like mm. it was all on me to, to make it happen so then you know a, a few more years passed I, I finished out high school uh, toward the end of my high school career my parents then moved to Costa Rica and I'm just kind of left you know floating don't really know what to do I spent some time in Denver for a couple years there um, and then my older brother Scotty who's a good good friend of yours was fishing with you yeah. fishing for your dad he invited me up to he, he encouraged me to come up to Alaska again to go fishing because at the time you know as as you know a couple young 20 something year olds it's like dude we can go we can make all this money and then we're going to Thailand we're going to, <laughs> we're going to Indonesia and so I was invited into that culture where it's like this work hard play hard and and honestly like dude I'm so grateful for those years yeah so that's where our stories come together right um, I came up here to go fishing uh, you were you were fishing on another boat. I was fishing on another boat, and then we did some traveling. Yep. I fell in love with your little sister. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, now and then you guys have four kids together. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually, so you you meet your wife in California. Yeah. I, I asked Brittany to marry me, and now we're trying to morph this culture of work hard, play hard. With I have a family to provide for. I don't want to leave. I can't necessarily get up and go travel. But we're still going all in to this uh, fisherman construction lifestyle yeah. because that's all we knew. That's how we provided for ourselves up until now. Yeah, and, it's funny, and it's right what's when been we, laid out before us, right? So Yeah, exactly. So that's what we thought it, it had to look like to make good money in this town because mm -hmm. you look around and that's kind of what this town consists of. Fishermen, people working construction or people working in the oil field. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, to make money, I have to do one of these things. But when we both got married, we did the same exact thing. You did it first, but you got married, bought yeah. your own fishing yeah, operation. Because so, you're so like, dude, oh, now I got to provide. Didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I'd worked as a deckhand on several boats, did, did construction. Um, married Tom Stafford's daughter. Yeah. We're on our honeymoon. Phone's off somehow tom gets a hold of us he's like hey i got a sick deal on a great boat dude literally uh committed to buying a boat like on our honeymoon got back from our honeymoon and went into whittier <laughs> and which is just like this place gets like 20 foot of snow and we're like towing this boat out of whittier to bring it up to homer or bring it down to homer uh, to work on it and get it ready to go to go fishing so you know but take on like 300 grand worth of debt jumping into fishing which you know I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty skilled I, I'm, I can work hard I can be a good deckhand but I wasn't quite ready to be a captain that didn't matter we actually um, we actually did pretty dang good fishing we did that for like five or six years uh, the first year we did it together which again these these worlds are coming together and at first we're making it we're making it work the first year it was me and Brittany fishing together it was two of us on a 30-foot boat and dude like for us 
coming into it, not knowing much, at least for me, Brittany grew up fishing as well. Yeah. So she's like a teen, you know, when she was in high school, she'd go out in the summer and make like 40, 50 grand. Yeah. And then like spend that on, on clothes and, <laughs> and like taking people out to dinner for the rest of the year. And Whatever high that's, school that's like, do. That's like normal. Uh, <laughs> But she actually knew quite a bit about fishing, so you mix that with like a pretty good work ethic, and, and we made some stuff happen. We were like one of the top five boats for the company we fished for, even in our yeah. first year. It worked good, uh, but then she got pregnant, and then it's like she's not coming fishing anymore. So now it's me leaving for three or four months at a time, you know, to run our own boat. But then even to make ends meet, you know, maybe I'm going to go take on a deckhand job in the winter, do some cod fishing, some crab fishing. There was, a, there was a time I broke my finger in um, between two crab pots and it swelled up, cut off the blood flow. My finger literally froze. Like I could flick it against. I could Bro, flick it against. Bro, how do you even the, still have a finger there? I don't know, but I, I <laughs> it don't. Came back. I don't feel much. So, anyways, lots of like brutal, brooding, brutal fishing stories. So that was it. And for the foreseeable future, uh, that was where we were gonna be. And I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, dude, I just. Like I'm very family driven. That was one thing that I really loved about my childhood is, um, you know, with my dad being an artist, he was so available to hang out with us, to adventure with us. We were always going hiking, rock climbing, uh, eating all our meals together. You know, he worked out of a studio right by the house. So some, literally every day I was homeschooled and we had a really tight knit family. I loved that. And so the thought of me going off and leaving my family, even though I'd say the fishermen culture is very much family based um it just still felt felt hard to me yeah so i'm in it five six years what are you what are you doing at this time at this time <laughs> you're already a couple years in but then i get married and i have the same thoughts and feelings like oh i got a family now i can't just fish for my dad the rest of my life i gotta get my own boat and start making this happen on my own almost this kind of pressure i put on myself just based on my surroundings you know so I did the same thing we got back from our honeymoon I bought a boat went three hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt on top of being newly married you know you're already that's already stressful enough mm -hmm. trying to figure that that realm out but then going into all that debt and then on top of that once we're oh, we already knew this so we were also pregnant when we do that and the due date was right in the middle of the fishing season, which is hard because you can't miss fishing days. You can't it's such... miss a day because there's a day you might go make, uh, you know, a fifth, a quarter of your season in totally. one day. Yeah, it's such a short season, kind of high stakes. You have to be there, show up when the fish are because mm -hmm. they're not there all year. You better not sleep. You better not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, all that was going on, got the boat all ready and went out fishing. My wife was due in like a couple months. So I was trying to fish as hard as I could, you know, catch fish, and then I was gonna fly home for the birth and then go right back out fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know how this story ends, but we, we were doing really well the beginning of the summer, catching lots of fish, having a good time. You know, still stressful being the new captain. You know, the first year you're like figuring so much stuff out that you never even thought about. And a lot of pressure being the son of Tom. A lot of pressure on the son of everyone's Tom. looking They're at like, you. You're hey, the top this, of the town. Can this kid perform like his daddy? <laughs> and he did. He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, just, he can. <laughs> he can. <laughs> so I started off with a crappy, 
crappy boat because that's all I could afford to get into the fishery. You know, you're already extending yourself, borrowing money from everyone, mm-hmm. trying to put this operation together, hoping that it all works out. Mm-hmm. So one day we were, you know, we were having a good season. We we're heading into town, and we had about. Can I interrupt you? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt your story. Go. But I've heard these podcasts, like of entrepreneurs talking about some of the riskiest things they've done in business and some of the biggest failures they've had. Mm-hmm. But dude, up here, it's absolutely normal to go three <laughs> to five hundred thousand dollars in debt with not a single guarantee that a fish is going to show up in the summer. Not only that, but and it's normal, and like that's what people do here. Yeah, totally. You think about like a risky business investment. It's like, why don't you go buy a boat, expose yourselves to these elements, hope that fish come up and hope that you're going to get paid for those fish. Yeah. Get, get paid a fair fair price. And, uh, it's all competitive, right? It's not like, Hey, there's 10 boats and a hundred thousand pounds of fish. Let's all take 10. It's like Tommy's going to come in and scoop 90 and the rest of the other people are going to split the remaining 10. Like it's competitive. Like whoever catches the most wins. Yeah. So anyways. Competitive. Yeah. High risk. I mean, I pulled equity out of my house, used all my savings, was borrowing from everywhere. And it like all came down to like, is it going to work this first year? You know, can I make Mm. enough money? So anyways, heading back into town, uh, my wife was just actually getting to one of the ports. So I was going in to pick her up. And, you know, the, the wind started picking up pretty good. And we're in this, it's called Valdez, and it's kind of this arm that's right in the mountains with glaciers all around. But the wind's starting mm-hmm. to pick up really heavy right on the stern of the boat, the back of the boat. And didn't think much of it, you know, it felt, pretty, it felt fine. It was like six to eight foot waves, which isn't massive. Been in that many times. But we had the fish hold about one third full of fish. Mm. And in that fish hold, there's dividers so they can't slosh back and forth and like tip the boat you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and we're riding pretty good we're actually watching walking dead season four you know just cruising (laughs) into town (laughs) going to get rid of these fish pick up my wife and all of a sudden one wave catches us and we start surfing down it and at the bottom it turns us really hard to the right and I look up and like the front bow of the boat is like dipping under, like scooping water. And I'm like, dude, there's no way we're coming back from this one. Like it felt totally fine until that one moment, boom. And, and it went from like chill. Went from chill. We're, a couple we're guys hanging with the guys. Out. We're watching season dead, <laughs> season four of The Walking Dead. Crushing going to it, pick catching up my, fish. Yeah. And all of a sudden we like, we're all in the cabin of the boat. And we all like have this oh shit moment where we look at each other and we know the boat's rolling. And so I'm on the uphill side and I have my phone in my pocket luckily, but I open up the window and I climb out the window. So the boat's rolling here. The boat's rolling. Daniel's in his chair and he's climbing. I'm on the uphill side. So I climb out the window as it's rolling and walk across the boat until it's all the way upside down. I just keep walking and I'm standing on the bottom of the boat. Right when that happens, I call my dad because he was fishing about a mile away. I luckily had my cell phone in my pocket, called him, and you know, usually don't have service out fishing, but luckily we're close enough to town to where we did. And he came, he got in his skiff, started hauling this away. But meanwhile, I'm standing there and I'm just looking in the water, like praying that the crew pops up, you know, because I was the first one out. 
And sure enough, one guy follows me out the window and he's swimming, struggling, you know, and he swims back, goes to the skiff, which Dude. is the small boat, and is standing there. And it seemed like forever where I was just scanning the water, looking for people, like, are they all going to pop up? By this time, the net's kind of all floating around the boat, which creates this web people are having to swim through. And, people, you know, the crazy thing is lots of people die in rollovers. It's, like, super common, you know. So those, those thoughts are going through my head. And then, sure enough, the second guy pops through the door. He was able to open the door as it was rolling and swam out. But there was a moment where there was three of us out and there was the fourth guy missing. And that's actually Patrick who now works with us. So he's going to come on the next week and he's actually a, an integral part of us scaling the agency. Uh, he, he, he really Maybe is. he'll be able he's to share beast. some of his side of the story and uh, we'll get into that part eventually. Yeah, but. totally. But there's a part where us three crewmen, we all made it out and we're all just screaming for Pat even though, you know... He, we knew he, he couldn't hear us. We were just in that panic mode, screaming for him. And I was debating, like, do I jump in? It's like this murky water, like, try to swim through the window and find him or just wait a few more minutes, see what happens. And it probably wasn't as long as it feels, but it felt like, you know, five minutes or something. But mm -hmm. it, this probably all happened a lot quicker. And Patrick, uh, was what happened was, is he tried to follow a guy out the door and it was underwater upside down and the pressure from the water rushing into the cabin slammed the door on the guy in front of him and actually caught his legs in there. He was able to squirm out, but it took his pants off and everything with him. So he pops up in just his underwear. We're like, dude, why are you in your undies? But that's what happened because the door had depanced him and Pat just saw that slam right there. And he said, he like, he's a big dude too. He like tried to push the door open and it wouldn't, move at all wouldn't budge it's just so much pressure and the cabin's filling up with water there's oil in the boat like all just a mess can't see anything disorientating and he he's getting to the point where it's like the movies where the water's like rising up like titanic you know where they're taking their last breath mm -hmm. he did that took his last breath went down and the door just like opened up pressure had equalized out just opened up for him he swam up and we're like, oh, thank God. And dude, Pat's like pretty big dude, like 300 pounds, like tall. <laughs> six, five, six, six yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's big. big, strong guy. And I'm like, he can't like reach up and climb onto the boat because it's so high. Dude, and, and so, he just had to like swim out of a sinking boat. Yeah, he was so net, he like, was so dude. drained already. And it's cold water. No like, one no one have... could grab the boat and climb up. Uh -huh. Like they had to swim around to the skiff and hop up. Dude, and even in the summer you don't have like too long in that water before you start getting hypothermic yeah. and your limbs don't work and totally. it's like it's pretty hard. So he was in that state and I <laughs> freaking like got up to the edge of the boat and I like man grabbed him right here. I had so much adrenaline pumping. <laughs> And I just like ripped him out of the water with one hand and like came up, flopped on the boat. And he's just laying there like <gasps> trying to catch his breath and stuff. And one more guy was still in the water just swimming there that couldn't climb up. And I'm like, Pat, help me. So he comes, pulls him up. And right about then as we all get on there, we're like all looking at each other like, oh, we survived this. Like pretty crazy moment that we just experienced together. Dude, and thank God you got out with your phone in your pocket. 
Yeah. Like, what would have happened if it was just sitting on the ledge or something? Like, yeah, and I then, know. I couldn't have called. And you guys had help on Luckily, the, way. the boat, like, stayed floating once mm -hmm. it rolled, you know? It didn't sink, so eventually someone would have found us. But it's still, like, a little bit of a black bottom sticking out of the water. It's hard mm -hmm. to see, especially when it's rough out. So I was super glad. And, like, right when Pat got up, a few minutes later, my dad pulled in with the skiff got us all off and you know at that point we're all hugging each other and went through that crazy experience and but also realizing dude we just lost everything that was in there so many personal items so much hard work we'd put into the boat getting it to that point mm -hmm. losing the net the boat was way underinsured uh, so it basically ended up in this situation where the insurance company bought it back and I resold it it was this whole deal but Basically, I lost all my money that I'd been saving up, pulled equity from my house, uh, had just enough to pay the crew back, and still all these pending bills, went into lots of credit card debt. And But let me back up a minute. It's like, welcome to adulthood, Daniel. Well, welcome to adulthood, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but let me back up. So luckily, we were heading in to pick up my wife, who was like nine months pregnant at that time. Luckily, she wasn't on the boat when that happened because mm. it was right in that same time frame. And, you know, she was due in like two weeks later. So I just Jeez. had this massive traumatic experience happen. And then I'm about to be a dad and just lost all our money, all our savings. Excuse me. And so we, we were trying to finish the rest of the season, make it work. So we ended up leasing a boat, going through all this didn't really pan out i ended up with a big yacht at the end of it <laughs> remember that <laughs> that the i was sugar loaf dude the sugar loaf <laughs> that i was just that we we're using that boat to live off of while we fished this really tiny boat uh that had no liveaboard space but then didn't catch much more fish at the end of the season i was stuck with this yacht making all these payments with money i didn't have trying to sell it uh right because you you guys needed somewhere to live because the boat you bought to finish the season wasn't didn't have living quarters on it so it's like hey we're gonna buy this yacht and uh we'll we'll live there and we'll take it with us where we fish and then we'll fish on this jitney is what it's called it's a smaller boat exactly and, and then you can finish out the season and hopefully yep. recoup some of your losses right? yeah and after that whole experience a lot i mentally lost the drive to even catch fish that year you know just because you have to be mentally on it too and i was just like man this sucks like i don't want to be fishing anymore basically like uh -huh. risking my life and my wife had just had her baby I was there for like three days after the birth and I'm like all right peace out you know I gotta go Gosh, fish dude. for another month which in our culture is totally normal that mm -hmm. was like just how things work so to me that was normal just to be like all right you're good with the baby <laughs> mm -hmm. and head out and was gone for you know missed the first month of of Aiden's life basically and came back but kind of that whole experience and everything made me realize like I don't necessarily want to risk my life every day just for the sake of making money mm -hmm. it became this thing where it wasn't I didn't feel necessarily defeated I, I still felt like I could do well and like exceed in that area but I was like I just I want something better mm -hmm. for myself and my family mm -hmm. uh, and a new way uh, to make money and I feel like this is a good time to transition to where we you were having some similar thoughts. Yeah, so my daughter was born um, in the end of January. Come May is when my fishery started. I'd go fishing. And so by the time it was getting toward the end of the season, I was sitting on my boat, uh, 
it was a crappy day. It was dark. It was gloomy. It was rough weather. Um, you know, and you're surround. You see other boats when you're out there. And I, I saw this old guy out there fishing all alone. It's getting to the end of the season. Morale is low at that point. This is when like Super a lot low. of the crews getting fight with cattle. Like all all the craziness kind of starts to come out, and you just you just want to get off the boat and be done. And I saw this guy just like self-medicating, like he's drinking, he's fishing. It's like the middle of the night. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, is that going to be me? And then I started thinking about, um, you know, my wife and my daughter, Eleanor. And I realized like I had been gone for four of the seven months of her life. And I'm like, dude, that's over half her life. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? And I remember, I think that was like, that was the night before I quit for the season. Cause you can stick it out, you can grind, and you can like milk every penny you can out of the fish that show up. Um, but it gets less and less worth it cause there's less and less fish as the season comes to an end. And so, you know, people quit at different times and I, I just, I think I called it quits. Um, and then we, you know, we're close friends in this, you know, obviously I married your daughter. We've done some traveling, some really fun stuff. My and sister, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Did I say daughter? You said your daughter. So your sister. Okay. Uh, but anyways, we we have this thing that in some circumstances is so beautiful and awesome. And I'm actually grateful for every single day that I spent fishing and the experiences and the lessons it taught me and the opportunities it gave me. And, you know, even the stuff growing up with, with my parents and, and, you know, jumping into fishing, like I don't have a criticism against people who do that against my parents, against your parents, against totally. the culture as a whole. I think at some point we just knew it it wasn't for us and it wasn't going to work with our next season of life, which yeah. was marriage, you know, starting a family and just learning to uh, just be, be, be responsible and, and feel like you're not risking yeah, so much. Totally. And part of this journey too, when we're kind of realizing all this, we were starting to learn a lot about finding something you're passionate about that you can do the rest of your life and uh -huh. make money from it. So even if that meant making a little less money, you're still being doing mm -hmm. what you're passionate about, providing for your family, you're able to spend time with them. So that was important to us. But I remember, remember this moment where I, I read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. I don't know if you guys have heard of it or read it before, but I, I had this moment in my head where I was like, dude, my whole life I never thought I could be rich. I thought this is exactly how things had to look to just get by and provide and like mm -hmm. live a pretty good lifestyle. But after reading that book, it changed my whole belief system of like, oh, it's actually possible for me to mm -hmm. have wealth and have money, doing things I love. And actually it's more viable to, to have lots of wealth doing the things I love than it is from fishing because mm -hmm. the business world in itself, there's so much more opportunity than there is just for, if I would have continued that career mm -hmm. path for fishing. And I think I shared the book with you and you yeah. got all pumped with it. And we were starting to do well, a lot of videos and stuff. Yeah, so, so on the fishing boat, on the travels, I, I loved having a camera on me. You, you did as well. Yeah. And we're like, dude, well, we love making videos. Um, I, and, and we both kind of shared that belief and that epiphany that we could shape our destiny. We could, um, you know, we could, we could be wealthy doing something different. We didn't have to follow 
the exact formula that we see here in town. And so we're like, well, screw it, dude. Let's just let's just start making videos. Let's start a video production company. Yeah. And we jumped into it with the belief and didn't know where to start. But I think what's most important is that we took the first step because totally. it led us to where we are now. That's where so many people get caught up is overanalyzing the market or like, should I do it? Should I not? But for us, it was a matter of just taking that step, even believing too that that's actually going to be very successful. Like we 100% mm. thought we we're going to build the biggest video marketing agency in Alaska and it's, we're going <laughs> to fly all over doing all these crazy videos. You know, that's what we thought going into it and we're doing everything we could to make that happen. But our first year <laughs> we were slightly mistaken we were slightly because we went in we starved dude uh, yeah our first year remember it was robbie and i we ended up hiring an employee to help us with marketing and stuff and sell our videos uh so there's three of us our first year we just barely broke a hundred thousand dollars which sounds total nice. revenue which sounds nice like i know entrepreneurs like if i could just make six figures my first year i'd be happy but between three people and business expenses, startup fees, like we didn't even pay ourselves. We paid, it was 10 grand for us that year. We made 10 grand each. So we for were the whole year. We were still at that point, part-time fishing, right? Or did we quit? We had a little bit of savings. That's um, what it was. And you know, we'd maybe take something like, you know, take a, a, a small, small three week, three week trip to go squid fishing you know maybe a month here maybe That's something right. like that yeah and uh dude i feel like at, at least for today's episode we kind of wrap it up here because we entered into this place where we had belief we took the step of faith but stuff got really really hard for for a while and that's kind of where I want to bring Patrick into the story. Yeah, that sounds right. Really um, and we'll pick it up with, you know, the video production thing. And then how do we go from that to becoming a really freaking good e-commerce marketing agency? agency. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Let's jump in next time then. Hope you guys are enjoying the story so far. Uh, like we said, we're going to pick it up and continue the story um, as soon as... Get Patrick on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. See See ya.